Hello from all around the world and welcome to the Crazy About Crypto Show, an interactive live podcast on Twitter Spaces for anyone exploring crypto and wanting to learn more from others that have already dived into the space. From NFT artists to savvy crypto investors to everyday people just like you and I, this is a place where we can come together and learn about this new wave of innovation. Today's guest has been working with people in the spotlight and now is taking the spotlight in his own right. From starting his career working at the likes of Saturday Night Live and The Tonight Show with Jimmy Fallon to now going full-time into paving his own path in the NFT space, this artist is quickly becoming known as a trailblazer in the crypto world. He has been featured in NFT drops on Artblock, Super Rare, Nifty Gateway, and Async Music while simultaneously finding new ways to connect with his fans through things like custom wearables in the metaverse. Brian Brinkman, how are you? Welcome to the Crazy About Crypto show well thanks for having me that was quite an intro thank you so much i really oh, appreciate I'm it really excited that you're here and took some time to hang out um with us so we can continue to learn about you i think in this oh, the whole reason that this podcast exists right is that um we're all pioneers if the people that are in the audience uh, right here live with us are pioneers as well and and the best way to continue to grow in this community especially as it continues to develop is learning from each other so um, the first question I have for you is just, and this is the same question I always ask my guests, uh, I just want to know kind of what about your journey into crypto, um, maybe a minute or two, just explaining a little bit of your backstory and what initially drew you into crypto, whether it was cryptocurrency at first or if, if it was NFTs, just kind of that journey for you. Um, yeah, well, it was definitely NFTs. I mean, I guess it would have been, you know, December of, 2019 um an artist that i had you know collected and followed uh named killer acid he was putting his stuff out on super rare and i was seeing those posts about him sharing it and i kind of was like what does that mean what does the symbol mean why are people paying one e for this thing and it's digital animation and gifs um and so that kind of sparked my interest and mm -hmm. in doing that i kind of learned more about the space over the next month or so and then eventually i put together an application for super rare and through that then i kind of learned how metamask wallets worked and how cryptocurrencies worked and all that because i you know years prior i had tried to figure out how to mint a crypto kitty and i could not figure it out because mm -hmm. it was a little complicated <laughs> you know four years ago um but uh so you know i'd always kind of seen it but then once i realized it was a, a new mechanism for digital artists to kind of share their work and um get it out there i mean i've i've been creating digital art since i was a teenager like you know, many many years ago um and so seeing seeing a new platform uh immediately kind of sparked my interest and that's how i i kind of took the leap in yeah and so you you really got involved in the space i mean people would consider you an og because that's kind of when the real crypto art movement started at the very beginning of 2020 all the way through it's just continued to compound if you will it just continues to grow every month with new users new people coming into the space um what is what was it about like the digital or like the nft technology when you started to try to learn more that really like that made it click for you that made it make sense like okay i get it i get what this is and and how it works yeah um 
That's a good question. Yeah, I wouldn't. I, 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 the term OG is so funny because, like, when I joined, I felt like I was a new person, and the people that were there years before me were the OGs. And now it's like, <laughs> right. in in relative time, like now I'm an OG because like the bigger wave came after me. Uh, yeah. <laughs> but in 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 a lot of sense, I still feel like you know, so I'm kind of at this middle middle ground between the OGs and the current wave. Uh, but uh, yeah, so the things that interested me, uh, one was the royalties and the percentages uh, that the galleries were taking. Because before that, I was doing kind of galleries, and I still do, you know, to a degree. Uh, these kind of pop culture gallery shows out in L.A. where I do uh, these kind of cult movie, um, video game, TV show type art shows, um, which are really fun and great group shows where I get to kind of be in the show with all these other artists I admire. But that kind of old gallery mentality where they took 50% of the sale. Mm -hmm. Um, when I saw these sites like super rare only taking, you know, 15%, that was a huge difference, you know? And then the the fact that there's a secondary royalty that if you continue to grow, um, you can create this kind of passive income. I mean, those two, those two selling points were enough to make me interested. Mm -hmm. And then the, the other aspect was, you know, going back to when I was a teenager, I was making, you know, cartoons for sites like Newgrounds or like Tumblr or all these other things where I really enjoyed the the connective aspect of those sites and you could put out a piece of art and you could get feedback and you could kind of connect with other people. Um, the NFT space had that to a huge degree where immediately I was putting out work, I was getting feedback, I was connecting with other artists and that like immediately got me hooked. Yeah, I think that's a really interesting point is not only being able to really interact with your uh, the other artists that are in the space, but also collectors. Like as soon as you start getting involved, since it is so was so early and is still so early, you're able to really find like the people who are collecting your work. You get to know them. You get to know the other artists that are in the space and you can grow. So like that whole aspect of community is really intriguing to me because um, – when you were involved in kind of like gallery work, uh, did you ever, do you have, is that experience kind of something that's missing? Um, for a large part, yes. Um, with a few exceptions, some people who bought my work would reach out to me and tell me, or they would like send me a photo of it hanging on the wall. And, you know, that was awesome. And like, but for the large degree, you don't know who buys your work and you don't know where it goes and there's no way to really track it. And a lot of times with physical art, people buy that stuff with, without the intention of reselling it. Yeah. Um, they, they're going to kind of put it in their house and hold it long term, which I think is lovely. But it's a very different kind of market and mentality in that sense. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, yeah, no, I, I definitely agree that connection with collectors was a huge part of my journey. Um Two of my earliest collectors were Jimmy and Whale Shark, who I think are some of the trailblazers of the space in terms of building um, platforms and communities around the art that they like to collect. I mean, it's, it's you know, and so I had a lot of benefit of learning from their journeys and seeing what they were doing and seeing, for instance, like how Jimmy was preaching about on-chain art and me, and then that educated me on what that meant. And that's how, you know, that led me to like looking more into like art blocks and stuff like that. And so, um, yeah, it's, it's a huge aspect of the space is that kind of personal connection you have with the people that collect your art. 
Yes, you touched on a couple of things that I want to go back to, but the the last one that you just mentioned is the on-chain art. I think some people newer to the space and probably a lot of listeners on the podcast don't really understand that. Can you kind of explain the value proposition to on-chain um, digital collectibles? Yeah, I mean, the, the idea of what is on-chain is you know always kind of in flux, but the, the basic idea is a lot of the websites um, host the imagery that you upload onto um, IPFS or other servers. And you know, the hope is that they'll be there long-term supporting those servers and the art will live, but it's not necessarily what you're purchasing um, when you get your NFT token. And so when you see sites like Artblocks, like my NimBuds, those were created using code that's minted onto the actual Ethereum blockchain. And so the idea being, uh, with because it's vanilla JavaScript, you can recreate the Nimbud art, you know, without having with with just the information that lives on chain. And so, you know, there's a lot of different propositions about how to do that. I did a drop last week on um, a platform called Versus Flow, which is on the Flow blockchain, and that's on chain on the Flow blockchain. So there's a lot of different ways people are kind of like working to get this kind of long term health in the, the NFT's imagery. Mm-hmm. And so from what I understand, if as opposed to it kind of being minted by like super or like being on the contract of super rare or like nifty gateway, you're actually minting it directly into, it's almost similar to like what Richard at Manifold is doing, like getting it directly to where you're minting it on the con- on the blockchain yourself. So it's easier to track in the long run and it allows you to do more um, with like your contract that you you have is that is that kind of the the aspect of it yeah. so, so that it's not like everyone is being minted under a contract that uh, Maker's Place has. So then if you go to OpenSea, the token technically says Maker's Place. Even if you minted it there, I can't see like the name of the artist because of, because of that like little um, like that third party that's in between. Yeah, no, totally. I think what Richard's using, and I could be mistaken, I think he's using Airweave, which is kind of like this in-between of IPFS and um, kind of on-chain where it's it's a stronger IPFS. Okay. And so there's different different ways to kind of go about hosting that has this kind of redundancy that keeps the image file safe. Mm-hmm. So that, you know, that's still something that's very much being worked on. I know... Um, you know, there's stuff like Jimmy's nameless platform is in the works and that's going to hopefully have that aspect as well. And so I think, you know, the, the tricky part with on-chain imagery on Ethereum or other blockchains is that it just takes up a ton of data. And so minting an image file on-chain will cost you a fortune. Mm. Uh, and so like it doesn't support animation very well and so i think that's why people are going to start to look more into like layer two options for on chain and so yeah it's very much a you know it's not my strong suit but i appreciate uh, all the people working to uh build up a safeguard because you know back before i joined the space there was plenty of nft websites that the art that was on there unfortunately when the site went down the art was lost and now they're just you know ethereum blockchain informations without any imagery 
Oh, man. Yeah, I mean, it makes sense. And it's like that constant evolution of making the technology better and stronger for the creators. And so I think we continue to see that um, every day. But I, I think people hear about on chain. And that's I think it's important for people to understand just how important it is for an artist to kind of have that value and that um, that protection of of their art. Um, and so I think it's going to be something people continue to get more educated about as well as the technology is going to continue to advance because there's so many people building to make it easier for you to do that as well. So yeah, it, I, I, yeah. Ahead. Well, I was just gonna say when, when this discussion started like a year ago, pretty heavily and a lot of artists were kind of on the same page that, you know, we keep our digital files with the understanding that if one of these platforms goes down, we could then, you know, remint and deliver the art and is a different file to someone and i you know it's not necessarily you know you've seen that to a degree with like curio cards and stuff but i think there is like as long as the artists are still alive i think there's an understanding that they'll support the collectors even if things go sour on certain Mm -hmm. platforms yeah okay i want to talk about collectors since you just mentioned that too and you talked about when people purchase from like a gallery they're more what what a crypto person would say have diamond hands right there if someone purchases you from a gallery they really like the art they want to hold on to it they're not really expecting to go take it to christie's in 20 years and try to sell it for a million dollars or something crazy like that so there's this like definite the the um, crypto natives really are the ones that are pushing like the NFT world as well. And you, so with crypto natives, you also have a lot of people that are um, early investors, people that do want to see return on investments. So you talked kind of about this in your last explanation about like collectors being as opposed to like someone just sh- taking a picture and showing it on their wall to being someone that actually is interested in potentially flipping or making a profit off of your artwork, Um, which also, you know, as a artist, I'm sure that kind of narrative changes too. I mean, I feel like that could come across like, why do you want to just buy my art just to resell it to someone else? I'm curious (laughs) from like the artist's perspective, like, is it the goal to eventually find those people that don't want to sell your work that are more collectors? uh, Or is it, is it really not a big deal because, you know, you're still getting a royalty every time it sells anyway. So you can kind of just uh, promote it as well and hope to help people resell work as well. Yeah, well, I think there's a balance to it, um, and I, I appreciate both sides of the equation. Um, I think you you want to have collectors that value your art, ones that may never sell it, but if they do sell it, they want to sell it for a large profit. Mm-hmm. Um, you need you need people like that, otherwise, they're it's just going to be a race to drive your value down. Um, the other side of it is you you do want to have people that flip your art because that helps you grow your secondary value, which is important to future collectors that look at you and say, well, you know, if because in the end, a lot of the collectors in the space are kind of coming from this kind of stockbroker world where they're looking at valuations and, mm-hmm. you know, crunching numbers and speculation. And so you do want to show, you know, if you buy this art, you, there is proof that it will grow in value down the road. And so you have to have that kind of balance of people that will hold and, you know, create a scarcity and then people that will flip it and drive up the value of those pieces uh, as time goes on. So, yeah, yeah kind I of think, the, you know, it, quality the, of collector does matter. But in the end, you know, 
I think it's it's finding a balance of those two things. So, and I think that I think that um, I think that idea and that philosophy are really strong. I think, especially in like the crypto NFT market that we're currently seeing, because I think that we see kind of that balance. You need you. It's it all comes back to like the economics of supply and demand, right? Like you you want. I, I imagine for you too, when you're minting and thinking about new works, that that's something that you you know constantly are thinking about as well because you also don't want to like create an oversupply for the demand you currently have in the market um as well or is it like oh i want to get the demand out there now like I've, i think hackatow is a good example like she like that group um that duo mm -hmm. they they did a good job of putting out a lot of art really really affordable and cheap and now the collectors that held it are kind of reaping the benefits so i'm curious yes. is it like is that kind of the mentality of like, let me just produce a lot of stuff now and then I'll kind of slow down later? Or is it like, I want to create like a limited supply so that I can start to see that value go up and then I'll put out new work? Um, the way I've always kind of looked at it, well, one, you know, the, the first like say nine months I was in the space, I tried to stick to a, a regimented one, one of one piece of art every two weeks. And so by the end of that, I had 18 pieces on super rare. And so I tried to space that out in a way that created, you know, a, a, a roadmap of how often I would release stuff. And then it also gave me a fun challenge of, can I make a piece of art I'm happy with in two weeks, you know? Yeah. Um, and, you know, and so, but since then I've released on a bunch of platforms and I kind of look at it as um, different um, tiers. I think there's, you want to create a scarce level of the one of ones because those are your most important pieces that mean the most to you and you don't want to oversupply those, but then you can find other ways to go on, say nifty gateway and do a smaller run of additioned pieces. And you can kind of create a one of 40, a one of 10, a one of five. You can kind of play around with those aspects at different price points so that people can still uh, collect your work without having to spend $4,000 on, you know, super rare or even, you know, whatever. Uh, and then, you, you know, and then to a large degree, you can go to websites like art blocks and you can create these generative unique pieces mm -hmm. that hold their value. And each one feels kind of unique, but also part of a bigger collection. And then to, and then to a larger, larger degree, you can create these metaverse wearables, postcards, you know, tokens of appreciation that you can give to people that they can collect and hold and still feel connected with you without having to spend um, much money at all and still be a part of the community. And so I, I, I see those kind of like four different tiers of what you can release to hit different price points, but not necessarily screw up your um, scarcity value. Right. I actually love, I love that whole aspect too of like, uh, you know, your one of ones is like your gold. Like if you're, if you're creating, it's like that gallery piece that, you know, is more expensive because there, there's only so many, um, pieces that you put out every year. So it gets harder and harder to get those one of ones over time. Mm -hmm. Um, I think that makes a lot of sense. And I mean, you even see with the avatar projects coming out, they're doing similar things, right? Like that original avatar is, uh, like your one of one, and then you can get dropped something else. And you're doing a really good job. I think some artists have been caught up in like, 
getting down because of like this new section of the NFT space instead of individual artists. Now it's like these community projects, but it mm-hmm. sounds like you're just kind kind of constantly evolving the way that you think about things to try to do some of those things for your collectors. And I think uh, some of the wearables are a perfect example of that, like giving them a cool way to retain value and now something else that essentially they could flip or they can hold on to, but that over time will become more valuable because it it's only like a one run thing that you do. And then you do something else maybe down the road later, but every uh, kind of time stamped that provenance deal with the blockchain becomes valuable because, you know, you're one of the first ones who was part of, you know, this, this cool uh, space that that you that you've created so i think i want to give a huge hats off to you i think you've been very innovative as the space has changed i've still seen a lot of updates and feed um of on my twitter that's still coming from kind of your collection and your collectors because you're still uh even while maybe they're not buying the one of ones for as much right now they're still engaging and still being a huge part of the community and it just as that grows once the art and the value start to go up that's just going to benefit um you and your collectors in the long run so i thank you appreciate that huge congrats on that and i think also embracing i mean i'm looking at your profile picture right now on twitter and you have you have a cool cat and a duck and an ape. <laughs> yeah. I mean, you're really embracing the whole collector mindset instead of like getting frustrated about it. And so tell me a little bit about when some of those started popping up now, these like big communities and everyone is buying and flipping these, how that kind of impacted you and how you decided, you know, let me decide how I can leverage this and still, you know, benefit from, from this in the long run as well. Um, well, yeah, I mean, well, Let's see. I kind of got the sense of it when I did my art blocks piece because I didn't, I didn't fully understand what was going to happen with the the avatar mania, but I understood that collectibles were like the next wave because mm-hmm. uh, you could start to see it on Rarible and all these other places that you could start to create these kind of collectible things. And so when I saw Lux Pre release his art blocks project and it basically took what he was doing on super rare and turned it into this generative thing uh that's what kind of sparked my interest i was like oh interesting so i could create something that creates a a a new piece of art randomly how can i take that with my style and so i connected with my buddy manny who i worked with at snl for many years um and he he he's got a good sense of coding and so we kind of worked together on this project of kind of bringing my nifty gateway cloudy project into this art blocks piece, which became Nimbuds. And that's why you know, if you click on it, they put them into a package because I was thinking of like collectibles at the time. Mm-hmm. I wasn't really thinking of profile pictures, but then through that, I understood because before then I had, you know, a handful of collectors, but I was mostly doing very small editions and one of ones. And so when this thing sold and, you know, you instantly get two to 300, um, uh, collectors in a discord talking about this i got a sense of this group mentality that happens with these projects that you you we also started to see it happen when nifty gateway had these kind of large open editions mm-hmm. and we started to see you know we, to a large degree it all kind of started with crypto punks um but then you kind of start to see that this 
these projects create these ecosystems that kind of become their own self-hyping uh, machine yeah. to a degree. And that that was like a new aspect that I kind of started to see for myself in January, February. But then two months later, you know, I was a part of, um, well, Hash Masks came out. I was a part of Art Vitars, mm -hmm. which uh, was a, a profile picture project. Um, and then Bored Apes happened, and then everything just went kind of crazy. And then you just start to see now, you know, one successful project like Bored Apes creates 10 Bored Apes-looking projects. And then <laughs> Cool Cats happens, and now there's 10 Cool Cats-looking projects. And, yeah. you know, you, it's all about kind of spotting the interesting visual trends first, in my mind, because those are the ones that are going to hold over time. Yeah. And Nimbuds is a perfect example of that you had, um, the timing of it was still that, that, like you said, that collector, that group mindset. Um, I think you kind of capitalized it, um, on that before it got kind of crazy. And so you've created this kind of uh, stronger collector base because of that, of the Nimbuds. I was really, that's kind of how I got to know about us too, as well as from that project. Um, I, I think, Going back to the artist uh, in you, I'd like to to talk to Brian, the artist, for a second. And I'm curious, <laughs> uh, what originally fascinated you with like these cool, fun colors and faces on different cloud cartoon characters? I mean, it's mesmerizing. It kind of pulls you in, but at the same time, it's like there's is there's a simplicity to it, but it's still like it's it's just so creative. Is there any backstory behind those pieces and that concept development and what's it feel like for them to kind of take off? I mean, when I, when I think about Brian Brinkman, you know, I think about those pieces of art. So is it kind of cool to have that be one of your legacies? Yeah. I mean, well, the, the color aspect kind of started with my very first super rare piece in January of last year, which was called explode, which was just a looping, color cloud explosion which i thought was like a fun way to like start this nft journey because it was like exciting and popping and colorful and it kind of gave me an aesthetic and so before that talking about like gallery stuff i always was kind of given advice that if you're going to make art for galleries you have to make the same style over and over because that's what they expect and when they invite you to be in a show they want you to make what you're famous for and i always found that to be very limiting creatively and mm -hmm. I thought it would kind of put me in a in a corner. And so when I joined the space, I, I wanted to find a way to let it be an experimental space for myself because I was already, you know, working on television shows and all this. And this was like my escape. And so I was like, I don't want to do the same thing over and over, but I want to kind of figure out a way to make everything tie together. And so the color scheme was that. And so I picked four color swatches for that, maybe I guess five for that first super rare piece. And as I went on, I kept returning to those colors and I would bring them into 3D pieces or 2D pieces or animated pieces. And was, even if the things all looked different and it were a way for me to experiment with like cloth simulation, it still had those colors. And so that allowed me to kind of not be stuck in a corner creatively, but still have it all kind of live within the same overall artist brand. Yeah. And so that that's where that's tied to. And so then when it came to the art blocks, the clouds with faces, I mean, the idea was to take my Nifty Gateway cloud piece, which 
the thesis around that was kind of around generative and how clouds are generative art. And we're all kind of hosting our files in the cloud. And all these ideas about clouds kind of came from that. And so when I brought it into um, art blocks, I was like, well, how do I make these clouds unique? And so it started with maybe there's symbols on the clouds and each one has a different symbol. And then it was, you know, how do I, maybe they're, um, text-based faces, kind of like those meme faces. Mm -hmm. And then I found out that, uh, chain faces was already created by Nate Alex. And it was like the exact same idea. <laughs> and so, um, and so I was like, okay, well let's, let's do clear. And me and Manny, and Manny was like, I think I could make my own face. And so then it was like, I was like drawing like ideas of like, well, we're doing this all in JavaScript so we can do like circles and lines and all this other in curves because we'd already kind of figured that out with the string aspect. Mm -hmm. And so then the, the faces are all just kind of playing on what we were learning at the time, which was how to make curves and how to randomize it. And so I was like, well, if we make a circle and then we could put a dot in there and we could just randomize where the dots look and that can create a bunch of different expressions. And it was like, how can we get as much individual expressions out of the simplest forms possible. And so that's really how, you know, the Nimbuds came was just us experimenting with what was possible and just trying to like see what we could, what we could get out of each of those steps. I mean, hearing that story, just, I mean, as an artist, like playing with this new digital technology that had to have been pretty, pretty fun. Oh, we had a blast. I mean, every time we were outputting examples, we were cracking each other up and it was like, you know, if it had a flat mouth and all these other things, we were just having a really good time kind of just like seeing what was generate, generating because mm -hmm. neither of us had, um, you know, deep experience with that kind of coding in the past. So this was it was very much like, you know, uh, and it, as with most of the stuff I do in the space, it's kind of experimenting with kind of new territory and figuring out uh, what you can do with it. Well, and then taking that and then now you're making kind of these metaverse wearables, these custom wearables that also kind of fit into the narrative of like the NIMBUDs and the collectors around that. I think that also, you know, in terms of kind of your community that you're starting, I think it's really it's really cool to watch as like a fan of crypto and seeing kind of the economics you're creating in that system. Um, but you're really, I, it seems like you've definitely... Um, on, in terms of th your thinking and uh, the way you're continuing to develop um, different artwork, you're, you definitely are envisioning the future because it seems like you're kind of ahead of the curve on a lot of things that then, you know, you start to see really take off. And so you've been, you, I mean, you, I know you built um, for Pranksy, uh, in crypto voxels and mm -hmm. you know you've you've really started to turn uh, towards the metaverse and I see you starting to uh, you know incorporate that a lot more with the community you have as well so I'm curious in terms of the metaverse kind of talk me through your thinking and the shift of, I mean it's constantly an evolution in the crypto space but you 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 see something with the metaverse tell me more about that I think there's probably two aspects one um, I'm a big video gamer and building in the metaverse is like a mix of Minecraft and SimCity in a way that like triggers all of my like dopamine. Um, <laughs> and, so, and so I love that aspect, but then also you're right. I do, you know, the future of what I think we will all experience, you know, in a, whether it's virtual reality headsets 
or augmented reality glasses. I, I think we're all going to be living in spaces that are augmented with digital art. And so I'll put on my Apple glasses or something. And then on the wall, you're going to have all your NFTs in your space, mm-hmm. augmented reality wise. And so, um, and I, I, I feel the same way about VR um, and these metaverses. And eventually, you know, I, a lot of it came from the pandemic happening a couple months into me joining the space and just being like, oh, we're all going to be at our computers all the time. So this is the future, you know, because mm-hmm. we can all hang out in the space in virtual reality in these metaverses and hang out and have a, a near um, human experience with other people. And this feels great. Um, and so I think when Pranksy created that land and gave me an opportunity um, to build on there, the way I went about it was I built a space that I felt, uh, at least on the exterior, you look at it and it feels like something that lives within the world, which is something I saw folks like uh, a lot of money doing where he built like these like hotels in the world. And that kind of interested me more than just these kind of like empty box gallery spaces, which are great. Uh, but I, I, I think it, there's something fun about if you're going to build into these early worlds, you can build these structures that will then become these like weird historical landmarks down the road. Mm-hmm. Um, and so that's why like when I did my, my candy shop, everyone that signed the guest book, I sent a postcard. That's like this kind of like faded vintage postcard of the candy shop. Cause it's like, and now looking at it a year later, you look at it and you're like, Oh yeah, it's an old vintage postcard. Uh, but I think there's something kind of fun about this idea of like, we're building this world what can what can we do to make this like last long term you know yeah well it's uh when talking to you know your normal friends and not crypto people uh (laughs) you know people that haven't really figured it out or the idea of nft still is just strange to them i mean the first thing that i know i when i try to explain some of these things it's uh the first thing is like the go-to ready player one um aspect of like what Mm -hmm. is happening and it's like yeah it's it is similar but i mean at the same time it's um it it almost is like it, it frees everyone because it's a community world. It's not like Facebook is going to create a big prize. Everyone's running tours and like run everyone's world. Like we have the power because it's peer to peer to create the this world that we want it to be. And I think that's the thing that people kind of forget is like we are going to fully embrace what's coming because it's going to do it's good. It's going to do better good for society. Yeah, no, I agree with that. I also think there's a large part of it that has to do with our human uh, want to show and tell Mm. what we collect. And I think, you know, like you mentioned before, I do a lot of collecting myself. And so, you know, I buy all these NFTs. I want to show people. I want to show these artists I collect. I want to help them grow. I want to be like, check out all this cool work, you know. And so then I'm going to buy a crypto voxel place. I'm just going to build a three-story gallery where I just throw all that art in that I can link people to and say, here's my collection. And it's a it's a it's a curated uh, way of kind of showing what you collect. And I you know now there's going to be a lot more websites coming out for that. But I think that show and tell aspect is like one of the things that makes the space so exciting and beneficial to not just one side but both the collector and artist yeah okay i want to um we're going to do a couple more questions and then we'll Mm -hmm. turn to q a so if you do have a question for brian go ahead and start hitting that request button so i can start pulling people up here in a few minutes but um there's one thing that uh, 
because you know you've been early so you've kind of you've already dealt with some of the things that we've um that we're we've addressed about kind of like building this community around your art but for for a lot of people and uh nft artists they're just getting into the space in the last couple months because they kind of heard about the people sale or you know they're you know they're hearing in it mainstream so they're kind of going through their first wave of understanding everything and a lot of them start they get frustrated or down because they feel like the market is um just so uh, there's just so much being produced that it's hard to sell anything. Are there any kinds of words for artists? Because I have, uh, there's a lot of artists that tune into the show for, you know, how do you how do you keep a good mindset? How do you continue to build? What are some strategies to give NFT artists about the right community they want to be a part of versus, you know, attracting the wrong attention? All those types of things um, that you could maybe give some words of wisdom to um, potential NFT artists out there. Uh, so that they don't leave the space because they get down. Yeah, no, that's understandable. And uh, I will say, you know, it takes time. You know, I was in this space doing stuff, you know, every every two weeks and also participating in the community every week um, for like nine months before things started to really kind of roll. And that, you know, that's, kind of how long it takes for the space to start to be aware of you and to trust that you're not going to run away as soon as you make a sale. Um, I think that that's a big part of it is that time plays a big factor in it. Um, some people jump in and they have huge success, but usually they had huge success before they jumped in. Um, just because, you know, that's just most of the, collectors are going to see this as investments. They want to trust that they're making smart money choices. Uh Um, Another aspect, if if you're new to the space, um, find ways to get art out there that's affordable, that doesn't devalue yourself, um, whether it's through like Tezos and Hikiknunk or uh, doing kind of like additions on Rarible. Another thing I found early on that was very helpful was finding ways of doing giveaways like you're talking about the metaverse these postcards these are things that you know you go hey if you go to my website and you sign up my guest book uh, give me your email or whatever i'll send you an nft and that's a way to get your work into people's wallets that Mm. isn't spam that they're inviting it in and then they're going to see your work every time they look at their collection and think about you and remember you and that that is a huge huge way to get on people's radars in a way that doesn't feel scammy. Yeah, I think that's all That's all really good advice. Okay, last question. Is there anything coming up um, that you want your collectors to know about that they can look forward to or someone that's just kind of learning about you? What's the best way to kind of keep track of what's going on and um, how they can stay up to date with what you're producing and putting out there? Um, well, follow me on Twitter. That's probably the best way. Um, I got a bunch of cool collaborations i'm up to this summer um just uh adam tastic just announced uh, his his new collectible series and i did a collaboration piece for that i'm working on a collaboration piece for dario de siena's minds project um and it's just you know right now i I did a bunch of drops on nifty gateway and verses and all that stuff just kind of came out so now i'm having fun kind of like helping other artists i i enjoy build their their standing by like kind of collaborating and helping their projects and then down the road like in you know 
a couple months, I'll probably I'm going to do another Nifty Gateway drop. Right on. I'm so excited to continue to watch your your work and congrats again. I know you just recently went full time into NFT space and kind of left your nine to five job behind. And I, I can't <laughs> yeah. wait. I can't wait to continue to hear um, kind of how that goes. I'm in a similar um, I'm in a similar situation of leaving uh, my career and starting full time in crypto and. Um, it is, it's, it's hard to take that jump, I know firsthand. And so huge congrats for doing it. And now um, just continuing to build and grow the space is going to be awesome to watch. So, so big congrats to you. Well, thank you so much. All right, guys, we are about to go ahead and pull up um, some people to ask Brian some questions. If you don't mind, go ahead and retweet that we are live. Um, take a moment so that way people that um, are just now coming onto Twitter can get a chance to at least listen to the second segment of Community Corner where we get to ask Brian some questions. I'm going to take a little bit of a backseat and let you guys ask. Ron is going to be the first one. Uh, Ron, as always, thank you for joining the Crazy About Crypto show. He's one of our regulars, so thanks for being here. And Ron, go ahead, take it away. Awesome. Thank you so much. Thank you, Brian, for uh, sharing so much. Uh, it's I almost don't even have a question after you've shared so much. Oh, thanks. <laughs> but I did have one written down, um, and, and it's more about the the metaverse and the wearables and, and that sort of next evolution of this NFT space from what I can understand. Now, what are some lessons that you've learned in the metaverse and the wearables portion of it? Um, and, and how deep are you into that? Um, lessons I've learned. Um, I, I don't know if there's any lessons I've learned as much as I'm, I'm just trying to dabble in all of them. Cause you, in the end, there's a lot of, um, there's a lot of metaverses. I will say the lessons I've learned is that some metaverses are harder to build in than others. Cryptovoxes is the easiest. Decentraland's fairly easy. Sandbox is a little harder because you have to kind of build a video game around it as well. Um, but I think all of them are worth pursuing. And then there's also, to another degree, there's places like Digital X, um, which creates like fashion and I collaborated with a fashion designer there. And, you know, that's going to end up going into other metaverses. And then uh, there's like genies and all these other kind of like uh, upcoming wearable platforms that will then get integrated into more and more platforms. So uh, I would say, you know, the best way is to think of what you can create and try to create it for as many of them as possible, because who knows which ones will survive long term, but it's worth, you know, each one has its own base of users and is its own potential. Thank you so much, Ron, for that question. I do think uh, it is interesting kind of seeing that the development and continuing to see um, kind of those metaverses take shape. And it's interesting hearing you kind of also talk about the development and how the development around those spaces looks. I think it'll be interesting in one to two years uh, looking down, looking back and seeing which ones really had the most success. Um do you have any predictions which ones are really going to be at the top of mind of, you know, like uh, consumers in the next couple of years? Are there any ones that seem to to be making the, the best moves, in your opinion? Um, hmm. I think there's some smart people that are kind of building avatars that work in all of them, whether it's MeBits or crypto 
avatars. Um, being uh, being able to adapt is going to be key, and creating characters that can live within all these worlds is also going to be a huge boost. Um, I think CryptoVox is great. I love it. It's a small team, though, so it's, you have to be more patient with its growth. Mm. Uh, but I, I think it's just really fun to play with. Um, but I also, you know, realistically, I think Facebook or Epic could easily drop a metaverse um, and just totally change the game in the next year or two. Yeah, and in your opinion, I mean, Facebook has kind of talked about like that they want to become known as a metaverse company instead of a mm-hmm. social media company. Uh, do you, in your opinion, uh, do you think long term, if if they're monetizing in the right way, like they're it'll get rejected? Does it really depend on how they approach it? Well, they have the benefit of owning Oculus, so if they build a really impressive VR metaverse, they're going to be on the install screen of every single oculus that gets bought so they have an advantage that can't really be (laughs) beaten there um and i i know that they're working on i forget what it's called but they have like a a cool app that they're building um but i think that's you know they have a huge advantage in that respect so i they're, they're formidable (laughs) <laughs> yeah, I know a lot of uh, a lot of people that are early into crypto. They start to get uh, real defensive once they hear about like these bigger tech companies saying they want to get involved and saying you know they they need to be rejected. We don't want big tech, but it all depends too on. I think that the you know the community over time, as people continue to get educated on the benefits of blockchain technology and basically being able to be peer-to-peer, there, there's going to have to be some accountability, more accountability with some of the, the big companies. So in the long run, I think it is always a win anytime you bring uh, so many more users to the space because then it's just a chance to educate more people and uh, make sure that this movement continues. But at the end of the day, the, te- the, great, the great aspect of the technology is that uh, what it what it is in the background that's ran by algorithms as peer to peer. So it's cool to kind of see the evolution and um, being able to hopefully see us all go in the right direction. Even these bigger players start entering the space. Yeah, no, I, I agree. I think, yeah, I think there's a lot of understandable uh, concern about you know anonymity on these type of platforms. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. But it's going to, you know, all it takes is Facebook just buying out Decentraland, (laughs) (laughs) which they could easily do. Mm -hmm. Um, But, you know, I think um, I I guess they wouldn't since that would defeat the whole name of Decentraland. um, (laughs) It it will be (laughs) interesting to see. I mean, there is um, there's a lot of conversations that happen around it. But at the end of the day, until. You know, you even kind of saw it with Facebook's cryptocurrency. They have a lot of more hurdles that they have to face in execution, executing any of those types of things. So, um, I mean, it's one thing to put it out there. It's another thing when there's a product to evaluate. So I guess it's all in due time to be able to see what happens. But knowing that big players want to enter the space and that will just continue to lead to more adoption is, is definitely usually a net positive for the community. Yeah, and I would say advice to artists in the space right now um, along the same lines, which some I've tried to do more and more recently, is start to think about creating 3D art as GLB files. Um, art that can be virtual sculptures, because we were talking earlier about 
all these metaverses are great as showcases for art, but right now it's a battle for filling up the walls of those galleries. And there's a lot of empty floor on those gallery floors mm. and creating some really interesting 3d art. I think, especially because with AR on your phones and all this other stuff, I think there's a huge potential for that to explode as like one of the future uh, evolutions of NFTs. Wow. Brian, thank you again for being here. I mean, I think that's a good thing to end with. Always giving advice, helping the community out, um, just creating amazing art. And I can't wait to see uh, you continue to grow. Um, and I hope uh, that you'll be able to come back on the show again to be able to talk about things that you've that you've been up to. Yeah, I would love to be back. Thanks yeah, for having me. Most definitely. And if you're just joining and you missed any part of this episode, always uh, you can always find the full um, episode on crazyaboutcryptoshow.com. And also we're officially on Apple um, and Spotify podcasts. So anytime that you miss part of an episode, check us out. And um, also make sure to follow Brian so that you can continue to see what's going on um, and things that he's dropping because he's it's just continually creating an amazing community around his art. Um, until next time, we will see you in the metaverse. Have a great day.